Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promo rate for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. And welcome to Sailing and Cruising the East Coast of the United States podcast. I'm Bela Musitz. And I'm Mike Wasserman. Hey, Mike, this is part two of our conversation with Simon and Sawyer Ballant, who will be sailing across the Atlantic for the first time. You know, in part one, we talked about some of their equipment and their systems. And in this episode, we talked with them about some of the other planning aspects, including the mental and physical preparation. So if you haven't listened to part one yet, which is episode 84, you may want to do that before you listen to this one. And Bela, part one really was interesting. I just thought this was fascinating to learn about the technology that they were using and the modifications they had to make to the boat and how they got everything ready for, to me, what seems like a massive trip uh, were really fascinating. But as you mentioned, you know me pretty well. I'm always interested in hearing about how to prepare, you know, kind of the mind and the body from the psychological standpoint. Um, for everything else outside, essentially, the boat of the technology. So I'm really interested to hear where this one goes. Yeah, that's very true, Mike. You know, there are multiple dimensions to planning any long sail. And I think the mental and physical elements are just as important as the boat and the technology and the equipment. So hopefully you all find the second part of this conversation with Simon and Sawyer interesting. So give it a listen. Let's get right to it, Bela. And, uh, what about, uh, let's just talk a little bit about communications. Uh, you brought that up there. Uh, what what are you doing for like communications back to land? Like, mm. you know, to sort of tell people you're okay and how's, how are you doing that? Starlink or something else? Uh-huh. Yeah, it's all, uh, you know, redundancy is kind of the name of the game here. Um, so I think, you know, when we depart, we're going to have, you know, two, three, four, yeah, at least three VHF radios, which, you know, will get us ship-to-ship communication, you know, at least to the horizon. Um, and then we'll have an SSB single sideband radio. Oh. Um, I'm, a, I'm a licensed ham radio operator, haven't, haven't actually used it in a couple of years. Um, but I have, last time I used it, I actually was able to chat with somebody using a kind of a text-based, computer-based thing, which was kind of fun. It's very, like, experimental. I don't know if mm-hmm. I would you know, bet my life on, on using the ham radio. Um, but then we're going to have two uh, Iridium Go satellite phones, um, one as a backup. Yeah. 
so um, I've had the chance to play around with that in my apartment, you know, trying to get all our devices hooked up to it and get familiar with its capabilities and its limitations. And um, it's it's pretty impressive, to be honest. It's it's a uh, it works great for texting. Um, you can text pretty much anyone, anytime, anywhere, um, which is you know, ninety percent of the communication that we might need to do. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, it does facilitate the the way we're going to be dealing with weather, which is you know doing weather wadding with predict wind. Um, so that's the yeah, that's mostly through those tools. Yeah. So you can download the predict wind uh, information in into via via this device. Yeah, it's it's fascinating. I've tried kind of getting into the nitty gritty of it um, because there's other applications I like to use with it too. Um, but so essentially the the hotspot is like a dial-up, like like old school dial-up internet. Um, so it starts a session and dials into the satellite, and then you have a, a very, very slow internet connection. Um, too slow for most applications. And so what Iridium does is they then work with outside companies um, to make these approved software packages. And so the Iridium has this firewall that blocks any internet connection except for um, these approved packages. And so one of them is PredictWind, um, the PredictWind offshore app. They have a, a, a phone app and a computer app and an iPad app. So we have all of them. Um, and through that interface, we can uh, request weather routing. Uh, we can download weather grips. Um, those are separate. Interestingly, actually, so the weather grips take forever to download, like, like on the order of an hour. Um, and so if, if we were to do the weather routing on our computer, it would be like a six hour process, right? Because in order to do the weather routing, you have to download the grid. This is a, a distinction from like the, the traditional way of doing weather routing, where like if you're using OpenCPN, which is an open source chart plotter software, you'd have to download the grids somehow with your Iridium or your SSB. Um, and it's, it's just a very time consuming process. In the case of PredictWind, what you do is you, the Iridium sends to PredictWind your start point and your end point. PredictWin on its own server, stateside, does all the weather routing, and then it sends a route back to your computer. And so that that process only takes a couple of minutes. Oh, nice. Yeah, which is kind of kind of fascinating. Um, and and then the other thing it has is a uh, like a satellite tracking service. So it, they set up a web page with our name, our boat name, and uh, it has our location, and then. Um, it's kind of overlaid with the general wind speed map from PredictWind, just to give people a sense of what's going on. Yeah. And then we can post like blog messages to it. So, you know, if, if friends or family want to see what we're doing, they can log in and we can say, hey, you know, we're still doing good, getting tired of pizza. I don't know. But, <laughs> but, um, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a cool device for sure. Yeah. Oh, it sounds very good. So let's, let's switch gears here a little bit. Uh, let, I'm I'm interested in sort of, you know, talking about how you guys sort of mentally prepare for this. This is a this is a huge thing, right? Uh, it it's got all sorts of unknowns out there. Uh, a lot of people do it, but there's still a lot of unknowns for you guys. And mm -hmm. so, what have you done sort of to to sort of mentally prepare for this? Um, well, like if I can start, I think. Um... So you know, early on when we came up with we came up with a list of what we needed to do to prepare for the for the trip. And there's a big part of that list, which is equipment. 
obviously. Yeah. So what's it going to cost and where, when, when, you know, who do we buy it from and all that. So that's, that's one part of it. Um, and then we had another element on there, which we actually call training and, you know, training meant for us, how do we learn things that we thought were going to be, you know, important for this, yeah. for this trip. Right. So, yeah. so one, a very specific one was uh, medical preparedness, emergency preparedness from a medical standpoint. So I, I, my, I had a previous job where I was involved in emergency preparedness on the mostly fire side, but structural firefighting side. So I have a little bit of a sense of that and, but no, no real medical training at all. Uh, and Sawyer didn't, you know, either, um, or, or in my, my father. So we thought, you know, how do we become sort of self-sufficient Yeah. for three weeks? Um, if some, you know, and, and, and respond appropriately if, if, if something happens. So we, uh, we asked around, we talked to different people. Um, we have a number of uh, doctors in our family. We've got other people that we know that, you know, are in the fire service and EMS service. And, you know, a couple of folks recommended that, that we take a, a wilderness first responder course. Um, so there are a couple of different like, types of wilderness, you know, medical courses. Uh, people maybe have, have seen or, or done a uh, like wilderness first aid course. And that's a little more basic. The wilderness first responder is a um, uh, it's an eighty hour uh, course. Um, it's something that usually like a, a guide, uh, like a, an outdoor adventure guide or a ski mm-hmm. patrol person would would be required to have um, to uh, to do that job. Um, so yeah, we we signed up for one, and uh, it was pretty intense. It was uh, about 40, 40, 50 hours of uh, of self directed learning. So you know we had to read the textbook and watch videos and take quizzes and write reports. Right. And then it was a five day uh, in-person uh, session down in, in Washington, DC, uh, you know, long days, eight, eight to eight in the morning to six at night kind of days. Wow. Um, where you get a combination of lecture, the lectures were pretty short because we had done all the self-directed study. Uh, and there was a lot of practical learning. So a lot of scenario based learning, uh, mass casualty type learning. And, and the whole focus was, um, you know, being able to assess and provide care in a delayed access environment. Right. That's really what it is. So, so for us, it's, yeah, Sawyer falls down and he's unconscious, you know, what happened, what could he possibly be suffering from, and then how do we respond? Right. So that was a big part of it. And then kind of out of that came, um, all right, is there is there something we should do uh, on the land-based side to augment this training that we have? Um, so the both actually, so my father myself and Sawyer all took the course together, uh, which was actually kind of fun. We were the, the, this three generation group taking this course. Um, and then my aunt, who's a just recently retired uh, physician, um, she took the self-directed portion herself um, and then has been working with us and she's gonna be our land-based you know, medical advisor. Yeah. Uh, which I think works really well because she's got a medical background, but she also knows us, she knows how we think. And she knows the limits of our knowledge because she's taken the course too. Right, right. Uh, so uh, she's actually then helped put us uh, put together a uh, medical kit for us. You can buy things online. We, we bought like the best medical kit you can get, but even that's not a very robust medical kit. So she's helped us augment that with more wound care and, and some other medications that are ap- appropriate uh, for us to have. Um, and yeah, so I think that's, it's, it's both a, a it was a training exercise, but it was really kind of a mental preparedness exercise. Yeah. Because um, it taught us, for me anyway, um, an approach I wasn't familiar with, right? This approach of 
how do you assess, you know, a, a medical situation? Um, is it a serious or not serious? That's what they keep talking, right? Yeah. You, is the person going to die in the next five minutes? Right. Or are they not going to die in the next five minutes? And then you sort of kind of go step by step from there. And uh, I, I didn't, that was all new to me, but I, I do feel like that's a good foundation for us. Um, and uh, yeah, doing it together was a, was a way to kind of begin to, you know, go through that mental kind of, I don't know, uh, mental imaging of this trip. Yeah. Yeah. So part of what you, part of what you're saying is that this mental preparedness is actually uh, doing an assessment to figure out what are the things we don't know and then educating and training ourselves to be able to handle those situations. Uh, yeah. And, and uh, then that gives you confidence. It, it kind of reduces your anxiety, hopefully. Mm -hmm. Right. And it other people's anxiety and, mm -hmm. and, and, and you move on. Yeah. Yeah. And this is what, I mean, for me, this is well, well outside my area of comfort and expertise for sure. Um, but actually what's been really funny. So I, I, my, my long term business partner, uh, has been in the fire service and he's a trained, uh, EMT and kind of as a, you know, he, he likes his stuff. And so as we work together, we still work together every day. Um, yeah, we talk about it. We, you know, we, we test each other, we go through scenarios and, <laughs> you know, that's, that's been, yeah, that's been cool. Right. Right. Excellent. Excellent. Well, that's good. Uh, how have you guys done, uh, sort of the meal planning, right? Cause I remember, uh, my son, Andy and his wife hiked the Pacific crest trail, which is like a three and a half month hike. And, you know, they had meals planned out. They had so many number of calories in each meal. <laughs> I remember you talking about that. That's genius. Yeah. It was, <laughs> you know, it was remarkable the amount of sort of effort that went into that. And they wanted to make sure they had, you know, all the right proteins and vitamins and all that kind of stuff. Uh, because they're exerting themselves pretty physically as, as you will be too. You're not just sitting there, you know, playing, uh, uh, card games. So how have you guys sort of tackled that problem? Yeah, I think so. My, my mom, Elise, deserves a lot of credit here because um, she's kind of taking the lead on, on organizing that portion of the trip. Um, but it's, you know, it's one that we've all thought about. I, you know, Simon and I did, did a month long trip up to Maine. And, you know, from a food perspective, it was admittedly pretty similar. I mean, we weren't you know, we stopped at the grocery store a couple of times, but, you know, we didn't have a car, right? So, um, you know, if like if we ran out of produce, we'd, you know, walk over. But we, we I think we only stopped like twice, right? Like by and large, 90% of the food that we ate on that trip, we brought mm. um, when we went up there. Yeah, I was going to kind of add, like I mentioned before, like we've done some, you know, we've done a lot of coastal sailing. But yeah. our approach to coastal sailing, you know, we don't stop at restaurants or marinas or we've spent 26, 30 weeks on the boat and those are always on the boat hours a day you know we're either going overnight or anchoring and so yeah we i think that yeah that that month-long trip to maine is kind of a proxy i mean in terms of sure. the food we were we, sure. we had our own food and water and 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 we managed it you know uh, without really going on shore so that that gave it and that gave us a little bit of a, a sense of what it would look like how much yeah. we need how much you know what, what are the challenges with preparing food now it's of course a little different you know if we're trying to prepare food in, in, you know, more severe conditions. So we thought about that too, which we can talk about. Well, that's right. Right. It's, it's, <clears throat> it's you got, you got to prepare the food too. And so you got to think about 
uh, you don't want to be boiling a pot of hot water when the boat's uh, rocking and rolling. Yeah. So, and when we and we talked to someone uh, that had done a couple um, races. So when you're you know, when you're racing, from my understanding, right, it's you're um, you're a little less concerned about comfort and more yeah. concerned with speed. <laughs> so you know, a lot of a lot of heavy weather uh, sailing and. You know, there's different watches, and so uh, he was saying, you know, to me that like, you should really think about, you know, having one main shared meal. And that's usually in the middle of the day because that's when pretty much everyone is going to be up and ready, and kind of focus like so. That's a lot of your calories, and then you have more sort of uh, quick fix meals or self-directed meals, you know, uh, in the in the morning and in the evening around that. And so that's the way that that, that at least my wife has been. Approaching the planning, so having enough of these sort of meals, and then the core meals that she's make actually on Boston, she's she's made and 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 frozen or freeze dried or vacuum packed as like the you know the core foundation of that meal. Um, with then ways to augment it really easily, right? To just get more calories and, and more macronutrients. Right. Um, and uh, ah, the fun part has been we get to test it as we go. So you know she'll make something. <laughs> freeze it <laughs> she'll she'll reconstitute it and then we'll try it and she's like what do you think <laughs> so, yeah um, that's been a fun for uh you know for all of us so oh that's kind of cool yeah i like this notion of sort of one shared meal you know midday-ish when everyone's <laughs> around and that's the thing you sort of prep and everything else you're gonna make yourself a sandwich and or chow down on a uh, a protein bar or something yeah that makes a yeah. lot of sense and, and you know we're pretty simple people too like we're not you know we're, we're, we're able to i don't know we're able to, to, to rough that a little bit i feel like anyway yeah well we'll see we'll see <laughs> <laughs> i should do yeah. a way in i should do a way in and a way out that's right you should <laughs> i remember i remember uh andy and kate both lost weight on really? the on the pct oh yeah 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 I don't know how it's going to work because on the one, yeah, on the one hand, like, yeah, like you could be really busy and stressed and and tired and not eating. On the other hand, you're really bored and then you know, <laughs> just eating, sitting around. I'm so I, my I'm a very active person. My job is is super active, uh, and uh, that's going to be a change, right? Even though sailing can be, uh, you know, has a has a athletic component to it, it's it's still a lot of sitting around. So, yeah. Well, look, we we've all we've all heard stories about you know, people in the trade winds, right? They, they, they get into the trade winds, they set their sails and they don't touch the sails for eight, nine, 10 days. Sure. <laughs> they don't do anything. And so then there's that, people that get stuck in the doldrums and eat their horses. So I don't <laughs> <laughs> That's right. So there's both ends of that spectrum. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I yeah. I don't know. I don't know, but yeah, I think uh, we've been thinking about it and we've been thinking about what's our, so another element of course is, we have a we have a fridge and a freezer and they work great, but they're you know not like your fridge and freezer at home, right? They're quite small. So yeah, um, we've been planning with uh, you know, like a mock up box that's the same size as that as that freezer and fridge, and what can fit in there and what can't uh -huh. fit in there, and then you know how do we what what do we jettison and say you know what I really like oat milk in my coffee, but you know it's you know we're not going to make that work. Yeah, yeah. So. Uh... I know coming from Europe to the United States, there's sort of a preferred route that sort of heads south uh, and comes through the trades. But going the other way, uh, what uh, is there sort of a, a preferred common route that everyone takes, or is it all over the map? I mean, it's it's pretty much just um, you know least distance, 
you know, you want to, so, you know, leaving Newport, Rhode Island, um, you know, you need to head south a bit because you have you know, the islands, Martha's Vineyard and sure, right. Cod, right? The shallows there. Um, but once you get kind of a clear line to the Azores, you, you pretty much just turn east and you go straight to the Azores. And then the, the course deviations you make from that are, are then weather dependent. Sort of the, the, the broad thinking when it comes to, you know, the climate this time of year is that the, you know, the, the winds are circulating around the middle of the Atlantic, around Bermuda, around the Bermuda high. And so the, the closer you get to that high, the lighter the winds are. So as in the farther south you go, the lighter the winds are. And then as you go farther, farther north, the winds get heavier and heavier on average. And so generally speaking, um, you know, you can kind of roughly determine the amount of wind that you get based on how north or south you, south you go. And and that tends to be kind of the, the deciding factor. Uh, but, but you know, for most folks, most cruising folks, it's it's pretty much just a straight shot to the Azores. Okay. And you're doing small course adjustments, um, you know, based on the prevailing winds. Yeah. So are you guys stopping in the Azores? Mm -hmm. That's our plan. Yeah. Okay. Yep. And, and then from the Azores, you basically sort of head head north to go to the UK? Mm -hmm. That's exactly it. Yep. Yeah. And that, that, that course, that course typically is like heading actually pretty much due north for a couple of days and then and then sort of northeast. Yeah. Get around the kind of weather that tends to be not so nice around the Bay, Bay of Biscay, I guess. Um, I heard I, I so I heard one guy talking about routes. So again, I'm sorry to mention they're mostly the same, but there is like you can go a little bit further south if you want, and you can go a little further north if you want. And what we you know we'll look at the weather routing for that, and we also have a you know a weather router consultant that will help us with that decision as we get close. Yeah. Um, but I heard a guy once uh, talking about you know when he's if you're in Horta at the big you know, the big uh, wall dock there where all the ships, all the sailboats stop on their way in the Azores. Yes. And you can walk down that wall and you know right away which ones took the northern route and which ones took the southern route. <laughs> the northern ones are, you know, battered and rough sails and the crew are like, exhausted. And the, the, ones, the ones in the south, they look like they're just uh, on vacation. I mean, yeah, he's par partially joking, but I think um, there's a little bit to that. So we'll see. Yeah. Goes. Yeah. Cool. So, uh, what else? What else is there that that uh, you guys want to share that I haven't I haven't asked? Um, I'll say one thing, uh, and I wish I had, had, had done more of this. I, I'm um, I have a long way to go, but I, I, I'm I just I, I turned fifty. I am active, but I'm not as young as I used to be, and so I've been focused a little bit personally. On, on just fitness and, and kind of getting ready for that from a fitness standpoint. You know, I, um, I'd i say I'm out of shape last couple of years. I used to run a lot in my early 40s and did marathons and all that kind of stuff, but kind of fallen out of that. Um, so I had a goal of, you know, trying to lose a little bit of weight, uh, start running again, or at least be able to do like the five-mile kind of loop around my house, which I've been doing. Um, and, uh, yeah, just kind of make sure I'm, you know, have, have some – you know, fundamental stamina, stamina there, but it's also again mental. It's kind of like I'm trying to just build a little of my self confidence. Kind sure, of like I'm ready for this, just like I would be ready for, you know, in the old days, be ready for a marathon or be ready yeah. for some physical activity. Oh, because it is a marathon, <laughs> yeah, right? It's not yeah. a sprint. It's a marathon. Yeah, no, and and it's um, you know, when I'm running or doing something else, I I am kind of visualizing this trip and sometimes the visualizations are really positive and sometimes you know they're 
they're more anxiety producing. Yeah. But I, I, I'm going through this sort of mental image of what it's like, you know, day, day by day. I think yeah. for me anyway, exercising helps me, you know, kind of do that mental preparation. Sure. Yeah. Excellent. That's yeah. what I've been doing. So has been hitting the rock gym, actually. So I have, yeah. Pretty good shape. I've gotten into rock climbing this past year, but haven't really had nice. to. You know, for me, you know, this this trip is at a at a real transition point, which sort of frames how I think about it. I, I'm thinking about it in kind of different terms. It's it's less of something I need to pre- prepare for and just part of the transition. You know, so right now I'm in Rhode Island. You know, I have a, a research job down here um, that finishes at the end of May, and then I have a new position starting in Boston. You know, in September. So you know, I have to move apartments. I'm going to sell my car. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and so this is part of that transition, right? Like, like <laughs> I, I wrap up my old life in May, do this, kind of go off the grid for a little bit, and then I come back. Yeah. End of August, and it's time for the next chapter. Yeah. Um. So that, you know, has has pros and cons, I suppose. Yeah. Well, it's it's when you said that it reminded me of you know I, I mentioned uh, my son Andy and his wife Kate hiked the Pacific Crest Trail. And they did that between Andy finishing a fellowship and Kate finishing her residency at the University of Pittsburgh and before they started at Brown. So they finished in Pittsburgh like in in April mm-hmm. and they started in Brown in October. So they had that transition period to, you know, move and do all that stuff, but also to go on their big adventure. So that's a, a great way of doing it, Sawyer. Yeah, I think it's good. I, uh, yeah, I'm starting a, a, a new PhD program, and when I was meeting with my prospective advisor, she was like, yeah, so when do you want to start? I said, well, I, I really can't start before September. <laughs> but she's a sailor herself, and she, uh, she totally understood. Great. Great. Excellent. So let me see. What else? What else is there that we should talk about? We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end, what will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. The, uh... I'll tell you one thing, Bela. Maybe. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. We put a lot of planning into getting there. I haven't thought at all about getting back. <laughs> um, you mean you, you, you getting back or you and the boat getting back? Yeah, I'm going to take, I'm going to take a flight. <laughs> but at some point I got to get this 26,000 pound boat back. Yeah. Uh, if I want to use it, which, which I do. So, um, you know, I'm okay with that. Uh, but I don't really have a plan. I have, I have, uh, communicate with a couple of marinas in the UK about, you know, when they store a boat for a year. And I've looked a little bit into the tax laws about how long you can keep a boat in Europe. Oh yeah. Right. Um, it's like 18 months of a clock. So at some point and somehow it just, it made me think because yeah, Sawyer has this nice transition period, which, you know, he's planned well and we've talked about, and this allows us to go there. Um, once he starts his PhD, you know, he's probably not leaving like the lab for six years. So I don't think I have Sawyer to come back with me. So I got to make a new friend or, um, you know, something and yeah. uh, get the boat back. Yeah. No, I think, I think Sawyer will take a three month little leave of absence and <laughs> then you guys can come back through the trade winds and have a nice mm-hmm. leisurely sail back. I don't know. I don't know. 
that. But my dad, you know, maybe my dad will get so into it that we'll just go and bring it back. There you go. Yeah. Uh, I also have to convince my partner, my business partner, to allow me to, you know, you know, I know I was turning 50. I wanted this once in a lifetime opportunity. And then, hey, you know, I'm turning 51. <laughs> <laughs> and I get another three months. And, you know, so yeah. I, I'll, we'll figure that out. But um, that's just not, you know, we have, we have so much to do that, that we're just kind of um, compartmentalizing. And right now sure. it's getting there and not, we'll figure it out afterwards. So. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Well, hey, thanks for being on the podcast again, guys. Uh, I really enjoyed our conversation and getting updated. So we have to make uh, a plan for when you guys uh, arrive on terra firma or in the UK or maybe when after you get off the airplane when you come back. <laughs> we got to get an update to see how the, uh, how the trip went and what you guys learned. And um, that'd be wonderful to get you guys back on the, on the podcast uh, when, you're, when you're finished with your big excursion. Yeah, we look forward to that. Yeah, well, that, well, we should we should do it, whether it's Azores or UK or when we're back here. Yeah, whatever you let me know what works for you. Uh, it's 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 um, it, it'd be great, even if we do it multiple times and get updates. Um, we'll have we'll have much more content, I'm sure. Yeah. So so tomorrow morning I'm heading out to my boat. Uh, she's in the water. I got put in uh, last week. A week ago yesterday is when it went in the water. And so what we're recording this on what May 9th and yeah. And, uh, so that's, that's all good. And, uh, the only surprise I had was a little puddle of water underneath my toilet <laughs> when I took the cover off the boat and you know, all of the antifreeze sort of leaked out of the bowl. So, uh, I took it apart when I was there last week and, uh, I thought I fixed it and it all looked good. And, I went to bed the night and woke up the next morning and the puddle was back. So mm -hmm. um, I now have a rebuild kit. I have an electric toilet. They're electric toilets. So, uh -huh. uh, you know, they have a fair number of seals in them and the motor. But I think one of the seals in the pump is uh, broken or worn out and leaking. So I'll, I'll fix that and uh, hopefully she'll be good. Everything else looks good. Um, if I can get that done and, uh, get someone to help me put my, uh, sails on, uh, I'll go out for a little sail when I'm there by myself. Oh, that'd be great. Yeah. And you had, you had a new bottom put on or some bottom worked on this, this year, right? Uh, that was last year. Oh, last year. So, so last year, um, uh, they, they blasted the bottom down to, you know, the gel coat. Mm -hmm. They put on, uh, two or three coats of, uh, epoxy barrier and then three coats of uh you know bottom paint mm. and so when they pulled it out it looked great i it was it was fine so i didn't really have anything done to it this year because mm -hmm. uh, when they put on the three coats of uh, bottom paint the first coat they put on was a different color yeah. than coats two and three yeah so smart. when that color starts bleeding through you know it's time yeah so. uh so i thought that was pretty clever and uh, so it all looks good. So I'm, I'll get at least another year. I mean, look, the boat's only in the water six months, <laughs> right? right? I mean, so, uh, but yeah, so that looked that looked good. And uh, what else? I think that, that was about it. Everything else seems to be okay. No real problems with it. I went out sailing a bunch of times last summer, a bunch, maybe half a dozen times myself, solo. Nice. Yeah. Just to sort of push myself. 
yep. get get myself comfortable with that. And you know, sometimes I go sailing with friends and family that don't really know how to sail. So mm -hmm. I was thinking, ah, I got to learn. I got to know how to do this stuff myself. Mm -hmm. And it and it it's taken me three years to figure out how to furl the sails, particularly the mainsail, because I have a I have an in mass furling mainsail. I can now do that by myself. Um, and you know, it's a it's a combination of having the boom at the right angle to the wind, pointing the boat at the right angle into the wind. The boom needs to be on a certain side of of the of the boat so it furls in nicely. And I use I, I have I use two winches for this. I, there's a winch on the cabin top, uh, and then there's also uh, one of my jib winches I use for some back pressure. So it's it's taking me three years, but it goes really smooth now. Wow. I mean, it's just yeah, it's I have a lot of confidence that. Hey, no matter how hard the wind's blowing, I can I can roll them up. Yes, I had that kind of experience too with um, you know, Sawyer and I sailed a lot, and obviously, you know, Sawyer was kind of in charge, right? So yeah. he knew way more than me and also was just, you know, I kind of defer. So, you know, I did a lot, but it would be either kind of just following Sawyer's lead, or we tend to over time do what you're most comfortable with, right? Yes. So and you kind of just without talking, you you break up the task that way. And then it was a couple of years ago, we had brought the boat down to North Carolina again. And um, Sawyer was was really busy. So I went down there and I sailed it back up with my wife, Elise and Peter, um, who were, you know, there and, and, you know, really enjoyed it, whatever. But it, it was in many ways, it was a solo sail, right, for me. Yeah. Yeah. So I did, yeah, I actually it was great. But you, you actually have to learn everything and you have yes. to, learn to do it. The parts that you like doing, the parts you always basically just didn't do. Right. Um, and then, uh, yeah, and then at one point I actually was by myself. I was in Atlantic City purely by myself. And yeah. It some, some trouble. But it's yeah, it's really it's a good it's a good process to do. Yeah. I, and, and to me, it's a good challenge. Right. OK, so how am I going to dock the boat by myself? Yeah. <laughs> Right. I got nobody to catch the lines. <laughs> right. There's nobody at the marina. I got to figure out how to dock this myself. That's why I love and, watching Patrick Lane. He's like my favorite. Yeah. You know, yeah. He's, uh, and, and I got I got that stuff figured out. Right. I can dock cool. it myself. I can depart myself. I can pick up a mooring by myself. Nice. Uh, you know, so. That's all. Well, that's you know, all. marinas are filled with lonely old men. <laughs> <laughs> have you noticed <laughs> uh there there are uh there are uh, several in uh in my in our marina <laughs> and and i'm sure there are times when uh i look like one of them even though <laughs> even though i'm married happily right. married uh i probably because i go to the boat a fair amount of times myself yeah and uh i'm sure people say oh yeah it's that that old guy that him, himself on that boat. When I when I walk around the marina, yeah, when I'm there by myself, like you you, you start you see some guy like, coming across the parking lot, gray hair, fifties, sixties, and we both kind of look at each other and do a quick little nod, like yep, yeah. like 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 motor like bikers do when they pass each other. You know, That's right, like, little wave. Yeah, little yeah. wave. <laughs> little little nod. Yeah. Well, <clears throat> I wish I was in my fifties and sixties, Simon. Yeah, sure. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Hey, okay. thanks again. All right. Uh, I really appreciate it. And uh, I wish you guys uh, a safe journey.
and uh, a really good one. Thank you. Awesome. Thanks, Bela. We'll stay in touch. So Bela, as you promised, this was a really interesting part two of this two-part interview uh, with Simon and Sawyer. Um, putting both parts of the interview together for the listeners, what was most surprising to you about how these two approached this big adventure? Well, you know, I, I know Simon and Sawyer, uh, and, and they, uh, they're really good planners. So uh, I, I, they, they, they think about all sorts of details and I'm part of their, uh, I'm going to be part of their land support team. So they've even ah, thought about this, right? Cool. So they have a land support team. So, uh, you know, and they sent me, uh, in getting ready for this, they sent me like a eight or nine page sort of brief on, you know, here's all the information about the boat. Here's the systems we have. Here's what our planned route is going to be. <clears throat> because one of the things that they're going to do, for example, uh, every day they're going to send me a text that says, here, this is our location. This is our heading. This is what we're planning for the next day, you know, and everyone's good or we're all seasick or whatever's going on. So, so if I don't hear from them in three days, then I contact the Coast Guard and I have all this information. I have, here's the, here's the boat. Here's the number of people. Here's their ages. Here's their last known location, et cetera. Right. So they've, they've thought all this through what happens if something goes wrong. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> and, and they also have a, a tracker. So uh, I, I will be able to actually get on the internet to a web page and follow the little red dot across the ocean as they're going. And that gives me their position and their heading, right? Sort of in real time. So I, I, I have this information. So anyway, they, they thought that through. I mean, when I go out for two or three days, I don't think of that. <laughs> right? I mean, yeah. I tell people where I'm going and sort of what I'm planning on doing, but that's it. So they, they have this land-based support team. The other piece is, is sort of what happens if they have a medical emergency. Yeah. Right. So I, Simon talked about taking the first aid course, the wilderness outdoor course, uh, and, you know, having a, a first aid kit with, you know, painkillers and antibiotics and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. You, you, you slip and you break your ankle. Right. It happens or you have, it happens. somebody has a heart right. problem or, you know what I mean? Right. Right. A, right. All kinds or of stuff. Pendus, pendicitis. Yep. <laughs> All this stuff happens. So, you got to decide: all, can we treat this here, or do we got to find a way to get them out of right, here? Right. Right. And 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 Simon's uh, <clears throat> grandmother's a physician, right? So he's he's got sort of a connection there. So she's part of the land-based support team as well, <laughs> that can give them advice if they need it. So I mean, those are the types of things that that most people don't think about when they think about doing a big big trip like this and you know when you watch the youtube sailing videos uh, they don't talk about any of this stuff right they just oh it's fun and sun and we're sailing across the atlantic ocean or the pacific uh so there's a there's a lot of that kind of stuff going on here which i which i i think is is really kind of neat yeah i thought it was fascinating um never occurred to me to think about this stuff but it makes total sense you know once you, once they lay this out of course you need to know this stuff um, you want to hope everything's right. going to go well, you know, plan, ho hope for the best plan for the worst. Right. And I think that sailing is one of those activities right. that this adage really fits, you know, really, really well. Um, especially when you look at the ages of the people going too, right. That, you know, 
Right. Simon Simon is in his, what he said, he's just turning 50, 50. right? Yep. And then his dad is in right. his 70s, right? I think he said, right? So that's, you know, yep. we're, that's our ages, roughly, you know? So right. um, it's it's interesting. So the other thing I thought was really interesting, Bela, was the food planning. Because, yeah. you know, I'm a food guy, and that's always the first thing I think about, right? But I love that they were doing this as a facul- as a family activity, right? That Simon's wife was kind of helping with this. And it not only saves money, but they really were adjusting things to their taste and packaging the food in different ways that fits their space perfectly. To me, that was really ingenious and really cool. What did you yeah. think of that? Is that common, or is this something that, that is, again, a, a little bit different? <clears throat> well, just the notion of sort of you got to plan for 30 days. It's a lot. I mean, hope without hope, hitting hope, the the what do you got over there, right? The Safeway, you know, the yeah, whole food. Right, right, right. So, so you know, that's a lot of meals. <laughs> right, and you're burning and, energy, right? You got it, right? You right, like you were mentioning, right? The number of calories matters, and right, the right. amount of fat matters, and all these things matter. All that stuff matters, and it and like I said, when I was talking to those guys, it reminded me of when my son and, and his wife hiked on the Pacific Crest Trail, right? They. They had all these meals pre-thought out, <clears throat> including calories in each meal, et cetera. So I, I think that that's really important because if if you're you got to stay healthy, I think that's one of the most important things. You got to stay physically healthy and mentally healthy, and and physiologically healthy. Uh, so I think food is a big part of that, and and so having food that, that your body's used to, you don't want to all of a sudden start eating things that you've never eaten before, like you know these military (laughs) sea rations or whatever Mm -hmm. they're called. Right. So I think that was really, that was really good that they're doing that with food that they're accustomed to and they're trying it out in advance. Uh, And, and, and the other thing I thought was, was really wise was this notion of having one meal together as a group per day. And that's sort of their big meal. Uh, Because what happens is, you know, when you're out there 24 hours a day, chances are at any point in time, someone's going to be sleeping <laughs> because they need to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they should be. Right. Because if, if you're not, watch, there's a problem, right? right. Yeah, you got to be. Exactly. Right. So at least one person's sleeping uh, all the time. And and so you got to get your rest. And I remember when we came up from Florida, they used to make fun of me because, you know, we'd wake up in the morning and and whoever was on watch would go off watch. And whenever I was off watch, I would I would often say, hey, I'm going to go take a nap, guys. And they would make fun of me like, oh, Bailey, you're always napping. And I, I was very conscious about making sure my I was I was was not getting sleep deprived because it's really easy for that to happen, particularly if you get one or two days of bad weather. And then all of a sudden it's hard to sleep. Right. Because the boat's rocking and, you know, you're rolling around in your bunk. It's 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 not easy. You're not going to get a restful night of sleep. So I think this notion of making sure you're well-rested, you're well-nourished is really, really important. And, and I thought they, they, this notion of having one meal together so you, know, you can catch up on what's going on, figure all that stuff out, and then when you're not on watch, get some rest, right? Yep. Cool. I, yeah, I really thought that was a, a fascinating thing. And just the idea of the social interaction, too. You're doing this to be together, the three of you. But you're right. Most of the time, right. two of you are together and <laughs> one of you is sleeping. So I really like this family right. meal as a way to keep everybody tied together and and kind of focused on the goals and overcoming. I'm sure there's going to be challenges and 
this is it, it is an, a, a really cool i thought it was a really cool idea from that every family should do right try to when everybody's schedules are busy and i'm sure this was right. like this when your kids right. were still at home and busy 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 right and just the idea of uh, a family unit um connecting once a day and sharing a meal you know this is an age-old thing right that the the, yes. the a family meal is something that's kept people together for you know thousands of years right but to me to carry that over to this trip is a, was a really neat thing from kind of a culture food society family dynamic standpoint you know yep. nothing to do with sailing right but this idea right, of exactly. mental health and equilibrium and routines <clears throat> and and again even something that even though um simon's wife isn't on the trip but she prepared this food for them right so she's with them in a small part you got grandma's ashes right but you got the wife's cooking you know what i mean right so it's it's all part of the team you know so i thought that was really cool um but yeah then i was a little bit surprised by the lack of a return plan um were you or is that just again a typical thing for something like this Uh, well it's it's typical you know i mean uh there are different times of the seasons that make sense to go in different directions uh so, so there's this book by Jimmy Cornell, which is sort of like the Bible of if you want to sail around the world or you want to sail across oceans, when's the right time of the year, when, which direction you want to be going in at that time of year, et cetera. So you take advantage of the prevailing winds, you take advantage of ocean currents, uh, et cetera. So summertime, June, is, is sort of the time to go from the United States over to Europe. That's that's sort of that that window that opens because it's it's still very early in the hurricane season, so you don't want to go in the fall time in the Atlantic. That's not a great place to be. Mm. Uh, and and then the 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 after after the hurricane season in November is the time that all the boats come from Europe back over to the Caribbean or the United States, right? So it's it's like you head you head east during. Uh, May and June, and you head west <laughs> in November, December. And and so they're going to be over there by the end of June, uh, early July is my guess, uh, if everything goes well. And so they don't want to be coming back then, right? So they, they got a couple of months at least that to figure out what they're going to do. So uh, they're going to put the boat up on the hard, as they say, have a place to store it, and then sort through. And I think Part of that goes with, you know, they'll see how excited they are about bringing the boat back across. I mean, how hard of a trip was it? Uh, yeah, exactly. how hard of a trip mm. was it, right? Because you don't know. What what toll did it take, right, physically right. and mentally? Yeah. Mm. I mean, what did it, was it all great or, you know, and, and I think that's great. That's that's perfectly. Because you could pay to somebody it. to sail it back. Right? Absolutely. Yeah, Absolutely. That, that, that's right. Happens, right. Right. You can pay somebody to sail back. And I'll tell you, there's a lot of people who who sail you know, from Europe and United States to the South Pacific, and and then from the South Pacific they end up in New Zealand or Australia, and then to get back over That's here you got to cross trip. the Indian Ocean, which is a long, mm-hmm. brutal trip. So there's a lot of boats that are for sale in Australia <laughs> and New Zealand. So you could do that, right? They said they right. didn't want to do that. I think, but that's an option, right? Right, right. right. So you can always sell the boat. Uh, but anyway, uh, yeah, it's not surprising to me, but. And and th- there's all sorts of rules about uh, import duties and all that kind of stuff. Uh, so they can only leave the boat in certain places for certain periods of time. Uh, I hear people talk about that who 
you know, are trying to keep a boat in one country and then the send gen rules or something like that. And you got to get it out of that country for a certain period of time before right. you can bring it back in. Or else they tax it. Right. Other, a, right. Otherwise they tax it as you imported right. it. I have to do that too, right? If I wanted to bring a car in or something, right, right it gets taxed because, and the same right. if I wanted to bring a boat in, is it, you know, even though it was my property in the U.S., you get right. a one-time exemption when you move. But after that, you got to pay. You got to pay. Right. Right. So they got to figure all that stuff out as well. But uh, <clears throat> I don't know. I thought it was pretty good. It was an interesting episode. I learned a lot. Uh, I hope our listeners did as well. Yeah. Well, let's wrap this up. And I hope, where is it? The Azores, right? That's where they stop? That's right? the Azores, right? Hopefully we get an, an update from the Azores. That'll be really cool. Yep. Yep. But yeah, I hope so I'm too. I'm excited to hear how this trip goes. Um, listeners, thanks again for joining us on yet another episode. And hopefully you listened to both parts of this one. Um, we hope you found this conversation with Simon and Sawyer really interesting and thought provoking. Um, and if you have questions about what we've discussed, please feel free to, as always, get in touch with us. The best way is via email. And our email address is sailing the east. That's all one word at gmail.com. And if you enjoyed the podcast, uh, hit that follow button on your podcasting application. Hey, and if you know someone that would be a good guest on the show, uh, drop us a line and we'll see if we can get them uh, to uh, be a guest. Uh, we always like talking to interesting people. So until next time, signing off from upstate New York. See you all soon. Mm -hmm.